Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, Vineyard. Good to see everybody. Thanks for coming out in the rain. Uh, this heavy drought we've had. I mean, I don't see seen so much rain, man, but we got waves on the way. Whoo, sweet. Thank you. Bertha, come on. We've been in a series called Psalms, and so, um, you know, all the way through the book of Psalms, we are going to see almost every situation that humanity can find itself in. It's such an honest book. You guys remember the guy named Job in the Bible? A lot's been said. They believe that maybe Job is the oldest book in the Bible, as a matter of fact. And Job is like, uh, you know, what a story, huh? A guy that had everything going for him. I mean, he was wealthy. He had a huge family, you know, 10 in his family. They had parties all the time. It was, he loved God. It says he was blameless, and then all of a sudden, what happens? He loses everything. I mean, he loses all of his wealth. He loses his family. And then he ends up losing his health. He's in the ashes of the, the rest of his home that's left. And his wife comes up to him as encouraging as she is. And she gives him this wonderful advice and support. Why don't you curse God and die? <laughs> And, uh, you know, she, I don't, we don't know what happens to her, but uh, later on, some friends find out about Job, find out that he's going through a really tough time. It breaks their heart, so they make their way to see their friend. And as they get a little bit closer, they can see him. They can see how bad off he is. They see the sores on his face all the way down to the bottom of his feet, and they begin to weep as they look at their friend. And so they come to their friend and they sit around with him and they do the right thing for seven days. For seven days, they just sit with him and cry. Seven days and seven nights. And then they open their mouth. And it went downhill again. <laughs> Further downhill. And you have to read the rest of the story to get it. We're over in Psalms 41 this morning. And Psalms 41 is... Uh, is very similar to this. David is going to uh, talk about those who are weak, those who find themselves in a place of need, and uh, just like Job did. So I want us to do this, to launch into this psalm this morning. I want us to read it again like we've been doing the past few weeks. And so you guys really get into this and read it back to me. I'm sorry this screen's out. We had lightning. We've got some problems, and this one was taken out, and there you see some rolling in the screens and stuff. So uh, Stick with us, but let's read this together. Psalms 41. Here we go. Bam. Blessed are those.
God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Father, we ask for you to bless uh, your word this morning, breathe life on it. I ask for your help. Uh, Lord, give me the gift of teaching. Help me be able to uh, convey what you want us to hear, cut through my own uh, weaknesses itself, Lord, and bring to light your word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. You're the presence of the Father, and uh, we want you to be among us, in us, and around us, and teach us. We, we need you here, Spirit of God. We welcome you here. Come and do what you do so well. And we give this next little bit of time to you, and uh, Jesus, help us to see you a little more clearly, to learn what it means to follow you. And so, Lord, bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you see a little bit of the humor in Psalms 41 with David as well. Uh, the whole theme of the psalm is in the first verse. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. And then he goes on and basically, it'd be like me walking up to you and going, Hey, isn't it cool, you know, how when people really come alongside you when you're hurting? Isn't that neat when people show concern for you? Don't you really enjoy that? Isn't it fantastic that people are there for you? But nobody's there for me right now. Where are they? Matter of fact, I hope God heals me, takes care of me enough that I can get back at these suckers who are going after me right now. Lord, you're to be praised. Hallelujah. You're good, God, and you're faithful. Amen. Don't you love the honesty of the Bible? I mean, I mean that's basically what it is. I mean... Uh, David is in a situation where, you know, he's talking about having regard for the weak, and at the same time, his best friends, the people that he trusts, are just not there for him. Not only are they not there for him, they're talking bad about him. I mean, it gets pretty bad. They're saying, oh, he's got this terminal illness, and he's going to die. I mean, they're spreading that all around, and, and he's like, you know, I, I had you in my house. You were my friend. And uh, he's just in a bad situation. The fact is, David is going to receive more mercy from God, whom he has sinned against and wronged, than from the friends that he hasn't. He's going to get more compassion from God than the friends closest to him. He says the same thing pretty much in Psalms 55, verses 12 through 14. Uh, David says this, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide it. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God in the church. And we walked about among the worshipers. And listen, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. As for me... I call to God, and the Lord saves me. I, I don't know. I find that funny. Y'all don't find that kind of funny? I mean, I, to me, I laugh at that because I see the humanity in David, just like you. When you get mad at people who aren't there for you, just like I get upset, like we've all been upset when it hasn't happened. Now, the truth of this psalm is, and the, the, the centerpiece of Psalms 41 is that the people who follow God you know, us, we aren't to be like that. We are to have regard for the weak. And that is the centerpiece of the psalm. But hey, if it happened to David and it happened to Jesus, it's probably going to happen to us sooner or later. 
People are going to bail out on us. But it doesn't have to be like that. And the church is called to so much more. Richard Stearns, president of World Vision, says that Christianity is a faith that was meant to spread, but not through coercion. God's love was intended to be demonstrated, not dictated. Wow. Uh, this is a true story. Back in the 30s, there was a, a pianist, uh, a Jewish guy that played the piano very well, known throughout Poland, a guy named Vladislaw Spielman. And when the Nazis took uh, Poland, uh, he watched his family taken off to the concentration camps, and some other friends hid him about the city, and he hid all throughout, and even hiding in a hospital, which I found such a great metaphor, where you're supposed to be getting help, he's hiding out in. And, uh, you know, he ends up in the rubbles of the bombed-out houses. And this German uh, captain, Hosenfeld, finds him. And when he finds Spielman, Spielman says, No, you don't, want, you know, don't arrest me. I promise all I am is a piano player. And I'm a good piano player. And so, you know, he doesn't believe him. And so Spielman plays the piano for him. And when he begins to play, it touches the Nazi captain's heart so much so that he let Spielman hide in the ruins and Hosenfeld begins to bring him food to keep him supplied of course the Russians eventually made their way into Poland and ran the Nazis out but I thought this movie and there's a particular scene that is very appropriate to us in having regard for the weak watch this Well, like I said, there may be problems. We're going to get it, Tracy? I can't see, so. No? But it was a good intro, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, I was waiting to see it, and I've only seen it like three times. I was like, well, it's good. The movie is The Pianist, and uh, it's a great, great movie, and uh, you should pick it up, <laughs> then you'll see it. It one. <laughs> The, uh, the German officer, like I said, it's a true story. The German officer, it shows him bringing food to him. And, and the, you know, Spielman is hiding out. And he brings him jam. He brings him bread. And uh, when the Nazis have to leave, uh, you know, Poland, he comes in and gives him a big stack of food and all. And Spielman asks him, he says, why are you doing this, you know? And, and the Nazi says, God wants us both to survive. And then he turns and he hesitates. And it's a long hesitation in the film. It's a perfect amount of time to wait. And the captain looks and he takes his coat off. And he hands it to Spielman. And, uh, and he walks off and he says, what's your name? I'll be listening. He said, what are you going to do after the war? He said, I'm going to play the piano. And he says, what's your name? I'll be listening for you. And he says, Spielman. And he smiles and he goes, that's a good name for a piano player because in Germany, Spielman means piano. <laughs> and so uh, it's just very touching the way he takes the coat off. You've got to get the film now, you know, and you've got to see it. Goes, Man, lightning, you know. <laughs> John Wimber, a founder of our, our churches, uh, the Vineyard Church, said that if you aren't going, told the pastors this one time, he said, if you aren't going to care for the poor, stop using our name. <laughs> and that's how much it meant to him. 
and uh, you know the poor as far as how many times are they mentioned of being that God has so much concern for them it's just thousands of times in the scripture again and again how God relates to those who don't have enough and uh, Rodney Stark a sociologist that has studied the church from around oh, 150 AD right on up to about 1500 had said that the Christian values of caring for people is what made it grow so quickly that it wasn't anything other than that they lived differently than everyone else, especially in the first 100, 150 years. The Christians, those who followed Jesus, put their own lives on the line when disasters would come, diseases would come. They were the ones who rushed in to take care of the children, take care of those who were dying. Uh, he goes on, he says, Christian values of love and charity had from the beginning been translated into norms of social service and community solidarity. When disasters struck, the Christians were better able to cope, and this resulted in substantially higher rates of survival. So in Psalms 41, who are the weak? When he says, blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The weak, and uh, this word weak means this, and I think you can see this general application. It means those who are at a low ebb in life. Those who do not have enough resources to get through at the moment. Now that can mean all kind of things, right? That can mean finances. It can mean emotional. It can mean like I'm down and I just am not going to make it. And so David is saying, blessed are those who care, who have regard for those who have hit a point in life where they just don't have enough, where they just can't seem to move beyond where, where they are. So what can we do? You've got a handout, a fill-in uh, there, that uh, the acronym W-E-A-K, WEAK. Uh, the first one is W, and that is WORK. The first fill-in is WORK, and that is we can work on responding appropriately to the weak. Work on responding appropriately to the weak. Another interesting thing is when it says have regard for the weak, that word, masculine, uh, Hebrew word, means be insightful. That's having regard. Be insightful. Know something. Work at responding appropriately to those who don't have enough to get through where they are. Be insightful. You know, Job's friends got it right when they, sh when they showed up and they just sat and were quiet because that's what Job needed. What can you do for a man who has lost his family, all of his wealth, and his health? What are you going to do in the moment except be there with him, right? And they didn't mess up at first. They were there. They sat down with him. Be there. They empathized. When you read through Job, they cried. They wept. Their heart broke for their friend, seeing him lose everything. And that's a part of looking at someone's loss, someone's pain. Taking the time to be there with them. That's working at getting to know them. What they're going through. What they need before we begin to speak, before we begin to talk and start saying things. Proverbs 10, 19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. And we can work at not saying so much. An economy of words 
when people are hurting and they don't have enough in their life at the moment is a beautiful thing. I know we all feel like we've got to rescue somebody. We've got to have the right word to pull them up out of their loss, out of their pain. And we feel like, God, just give me the right words. And many times when we do that, we say dumb things. (laughs) I mean, if you've been at a place of loss, you know, you've lost a loved one. And I'm not picking on people. I'm helping my church today, okay? Because I want you to know, been doing this a while We've suffered through loss in our family. And, uh, you know, when, when you, someone comes up and says, oh, God just wanted another angel. Not helping. Nope. Well, you can have more kids. Not helping. Oh, you've got more kids. Not helping. Not helping. And when we say things like that, we are not working at getting to know the one who has found himself in a place of not having enough to get through. Most likely what they really need is you. Not your words at the moment. They need you to be there, to be with them. We have to watch our suppositions, you know. If we don't know the person, I mean, he can be like, maybe they've suffered loss and you're there because they've suffered loss, but really what's breaking their heart the most is maybe another family member has suddenly detach themselves from the situation and they aren't with them, with their mate or whatever. And that's what's breaking their heart. If you don't sit and listen a while, you never get to really know. We have to work at it. Listen. Bite the tongue, you know. Close the mouth and open the ears and warm the arms and be there. I mean, that's what God says. You know, I forgot his name, this Hebrew rabbi that studied... Uh, when God says, I am, you know, when he studied all of his last, I think it was 22 years of his life, he studied it, studied it, studied it, trying to find out what that meant. And he came to the conclusion that basically what it meant was, I will be there. I will be there. What did God tell him in the Old Testament? Every time he told him to take off somewhere, it was basically, well, how will you know, how will we know, God, whether this is the way to go or not? Well, you'll know because I'll be there when you get there. I will be there. And that's the same thing that we need to offer people. But if we don't work at getting to know people in their pain, listening and finding out exactly how they feel, then we can never be there. So we want to work at it. Your second fill-in, your E, is uh, establish a relationship. We want to work at knowing them, and then we want to establish a relationship. Establish a relationship. Psalms 41, David moves into his own weakness very quickly. It's, it's like him saying, there's no one with me right now. There's no one that I have a relationship with that is standing with me. Matter of fact, the one that I expected to stand with me has betrayed me in this. They're not here. And so... Establishing a relationship with that person who is finding themselves in need without the resources to get uh, through a situation, it takes an investment. But we're the church, right? I mean, that's, that's, it's not just what we do. It's who we are. Because all of us came to this thing that we call following Jesus in a place where we did not have enough resources to move beyond where we were. Every single one of us came in destitute, 
poverty-stricken spiritually, some of us emotionally broke, messed up, and we came to God, and God was there for us. He was there. We're all in this together. All of us are in this. And so we want to work and establish a relationship with those the way that God established a relationship with us because that's just who we are. We know what it's like to not have enough to get right with God, to not have enough of our own resources. And so it's who we are when we care. It's out of that relationship with Christ that we can offer love and that we can be there for others. And, you know, church, I just got to tell you, you know, we're at the place where I can't do this, you know, by myself. And we've been, we've been there for a long time now. And uh, we're the mom and pop store, Karen and I, you know, the church has got way beyond that now. And, I mean, I don't even find out people are sick till they're either back at their jobs or dead. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I'm sorry. But, you mean, I, I mean, it's the church, there's so much going on. Sorry. But, uh, you know, so much going on. I don't, I have to depend on the church, but that's the way it's supposed to be. The church is the care for itself. The church is the body of Christ. And I mean, that's, that's why you guys have the same Jesus I got. You guys have the same Holy Spirit that I've got. The church body has been called to mission to do this thing together. And that's why your eyes and your hands and you knowing the people and knowing what's going on around you and in your circle, that's why God has placed you there. So that you can establish a relationship with people and be there for them. And that way the body is taken care of. Everyone's looked after. And the relationships require listening. You know, I, you know this pastor, we've been through some pain, you know. And, and uh, Doug, Dor- by the way, welcome back, Doug and Joan and family. from uh, been over in Europe all summer. Good to have them back. And, uh, you know, when I hit a, one of the lowest points in my life, Doug back here showed up. He showed up at my house. He sat down on the couch with me. And he prayed over me. And he didn't bail out on me. And he was there. He came to me. And uh, it meant the world to me. And uh, I had friends who weren't even Christians. Which reminds me of something that happened with David one time. You know, that I had friends who weren't even Christians suddenly call me up. And three guys who really I should be ministering to ended up ministering to me. They weren't even Christians, you know. And they call me and I get with them. And they start, what can we do for you, Tim? What can we do? And they were just quiet. And sat with me. I mean, that is what we do. Because that is who we are. We are a people who have been profoundly touched by the kindness of God. And given the Spirit of God, the presence of comfort and compassion to give it away to others. And that can only be done adequately in relationships. That's why we urge you to... Form Bible studies. Get in small groups. Get to know people. Don't just come on Sundays, but be a part of the community. So we have W-E and the A in, your, uh, in the week here. The A is acknowledge. Acknowledge our unity with those who are weak. Acknowledge our unity with them. Like David, you know, uh, Every one of us, if you haven't found yourself at that point, will sooner or later. It's a part of living in this world. You're going to hit a wall or you're going to hit a place where you're not going to know how to move on. You're just not. You're going to wonder if you can move on. You're going to sit there for a while and you're going to look around yourself and the the whole landscape has changed. And you're going to go, what do I do? 
And when that happens to you and you move through that, you have an amazing treasure then to give to others. There is unity in this thing called suffering. I, it was, when I was thinking about this with David, I thought about the story over in 1 Samuel and 22. David is just, same guy that wrote Psalm 41. David has just, you know, he's running from King Saul to keep from being killed, right? He's on the run. He's by himself at this time. He finds himself in this town called Gath. He's there and the king comes after him to kill him. And so David acts like he's crazy so that they won't recognize who he is. They say, oh, he's David. No, that's not David. David's not crazy. So he acts like he's really messed up. And they don't want to get near him because they had this thing about that back that, during that time. And so they backed off and David escaped. Well, David runs to this cave called the Cave of Adullam. And he goes in and he hides. And I love this story because it says this. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented, what a group, gathered around him and became there, and he became their commander. What a ragtag group. About 400 men were with him. Do you see the power of, of this unity of weakness? They heard how weak David was in this cave. It became a magnet to all of those who were hurting, who were in distress. And so they rushed to that cave to be with him. Your suffering and your weakness that you've gone through in your life is just like that. It is an attractional power in your life. When people find out that you have walked through this, then people will start running toward your cave. And they will become some of your fiercest supporters and defenders. They will become your friends. Remember, this is the same guy writing this, right? Here. I mean, this is a ragtag group, but if you follow the story right on out of 1 Samuel, you'll see God did a whole lot with those people. A lot. David became the king, as we all know. There's unity in that weakness, and we want to remember that. I mean, Matthew 9, Jesus says, you know, it's not to the, to the religious leaders. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's almost like, when we say, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? I want to do, do. And there are times and things we should do, no doubt. But, but it's like Jesus is saying, the first thing we offer is mercy. We bring mercy to the friends, to those who are in need, those who are weak, who have, don't have enough resources to get beyond where, where they are. For I have not called, come to call the righteous, but sinners. That is those that don't have enough. Those that don't have enough. You just can't make it. Even Paul. You know, you read Paul, you read the epistles, and I see this man's man. I mean, I see a guy who doesn't mind getting in anybody's face. He will call you out. If you cause a problem in the church, you'll end up in the Bible. Your name will be in there. <laughs> I mean, he's going to call you out. You know, he's going to put you in there. I mean, this is a guy who's not afraid to deal with stuff. And, uh, you know, he... he, he Considers himself the head church planner and he's out doing it. But even 
Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. Was that four times comforts mentioned just right there over and over again? He's trying to drill it into the Corinthian church. When you've been comforted by God, you have been given a wonderful gift to be able to give to others. And that's you, church. Those sad moments and those broken moments, those times you go through, those are not wasted pains, but they'll be turned into a valuable treasure, an attraction, a magnet for those who are in need and those who are just don't quite have enough to get through. Your last fill-in is K there, W-E-A-K, keep learning from the weak. Keep learning from the weak. Keep learning. Don't stop. Don't pull away. We can't afford to distance ourselves from those who are just not quite out of their dilemma yet. We keep reaching out. We keep pouring out. That's our mission. That's our call. Again, that's who we are. It's not just a, you know, it's just not like, well, we got to do this this week. No, that's who we are. We are the people that God has poured His compassion into. And so we keep, we keep touching them. We keep being around them. We keep in contact. We keep learning from them. They can teach us so much. It is helpful to be with someone who go, is going through something that you will go through or might go through later. Eventually, you ask somebody, how did you get through it? And you know no answer is going to cure your situation, but the fact that they did and the fact that they will talk to you about it means everything. And so we learn from those who are at that place. I mean... So much going to cafe down here. I'm so proud of Susan and her team. What, 31 and 20, 31 and 40, whatever. How many people did you have? Where's Susan? She in here. But they had 31, I think, and then uh, more Tuesday and Wednesday night. Uh, a lot of East Europeans and Asians, the students that are here during the summer. All summer long, they've been pouring out love on these folks far away from home. You know, that's not a special thing. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's the people God has created us to be. And so we learn so much from them when we, when we hang out with people, when we hang out with people who are in spots of the outreaches that we do. Your neighbor, your neighbor eventually is going to need someone to be there for them. Why did God let you live in that neighborhood? Why did he let you know about that need? I don't know. I don't know why. You know, but yet God puts you God puts you in a place. I mean, come on, you know. God places you strategically in places so you can show the love of God. So you can be there with people. It's who we are. It's the mission we're on. It's the wonderful journey of Christ. And you know what? Things go a lot better for us when we're giving it away. Suddenly our situation doesn't seem to be near as bad as it was when we go and help someone else. So, how are we going to do this, church? What's the response to this this morning? How do we respond? I bet there's some people in here this morning 
you're not at a great spot. You feel like you don't have enough resources maybe to move from where you are. The band can come on back up, by the way. And uh, maybe you're there. And you're thinking, gosh, Tim, you're, you know, you're, talking, you're talking about where I am. I don't even know if I have anything to give. But I'm at a place in my life this morning where I'm just not sure. I don't know how I'm going to move from this spot. I'm going to ask you to do something very bold this morning. When we pray in just a few minutes, would you allow the church to pray for you? I mean the church, okay? I'm not talking about me. The church. You guys. This is the church. If you're the spot in your life, would you mind letting us know you, you don't have to say any more than that, that I'm just at a place where I don't seem to have the resources to move beyond where I am. Would you allow us to encourage you and just to pray for you? So let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.